Welcome back, everyone, to Sex and Couples Therapy with the Happy Ending Therapist. I'm Donna Harris-Richards. I'm an LICSW and CST, that's Certified Sex Therapist, and I'm your sex-positive sex therapist today, here with my lovely producer, Vicki. Hey, Vicki, how are Hello. you? Hello. Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And uh, we are here today to talk about, I'm calling this podcast, Sex Therapy, Empowering Individuals, Couples, and Families. And we're going to talk about how sex therapy isn't really just about sex. It's about gender. It's about, um, you know, egalitarian relationships, uh, sort of how fairness is so important, um, emphasizing that in relationship, not only between two people in a coupling but a family and hopefully that you know influences out to the community and country and world and beyond so um, I'll state my mission which is to help individuals couples and families embrace and integrate sex positive thinking into daily life for optimal health including sexual health and wellness you know as i always like to say we go for annual mammograms gynecological exams and prostate exams for physical sexual health we really owe it to ourselves to check in and check up on emotional and mental aspects of sexual health so we can have just optimal overall health and wellness what do you think vic I agree. <laughs> good, good. Is that all right if I call you Vic? Absolutely. Most people do. Okay. And by the way, my pronouns are she and hers. What are yours? She and hers. Oh, excellent. Okay, great. So, yeah. Um, so what's been going on? I actually hear it's raining over by you right now. It is raining cats and dogs. So I'm not sure if my mic will pick up on anything. So if it does, just it'll add to the vibe. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it is downpouring outside right now. It was a dark and stormy night, everyone. It is. It's, it got very dark very quickly. It's, you know, windy. Mm. The wind is howling. It's a... Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Weather is so interesting because I am one town over from you. You know, we're still online, folks, as you might know, um, doing the Zoomy thing. And I'm one town over and I hear nothing. Yeah. Literally just right across the water and it's... Uh, insane mm. i don't know if it's coming your way or well it might be what, i know i know i know fred <laughs> is on the way <laughs> yeah hurricane fred uh, or whatever that is that's coming up the uh eastern seaboard that's getting ready to hit our little charming seaport area of new bedford and fairhaven massachusetts yeah so we'll have to batten down the hatches for that um you know, it reminds me, I remember when I, you know, I used to live in Manhattan, I grew up in the city, and I used to work in New York, and I remember driving down the mm, West Side Highway, and uh, it was, oh, let's see, it was sunny, 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 and suddenly there was a line of rain at 54th Street. Like, I saw the the line of rain. Have you ever had that happen? Yeah, no, I think it's crazy when you're, when you're driving especially with the clouds mm -hmm. and you can see the rain coming down and you can see the difference. That's just, I just think it's, it's wild. <laughs> yeah. And, and differences can be beautiful. Can't they? They can be just like differences in gender or sexual orientation or what a transition. I love it. Differences <laughs> of opinion, how we see the world, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Politics, religion. Oh my. Um, sure. So shall we, <laughs> shall we dive right in? 
you know, with a transition like that was that smooth, I think we we just should. Okay, great. <laughs> so, you know, in, you know, what is sex therapy? What is couples therapy? It's it's a way of really changing how we think to reduce stress um, and create more positive outcomes in relationships. Uh, it's also about changing what we do for the sake of relationship. Um, and, you know, how we see the world, what we, how we view the world, and, and what we do influences, well, sorry, let me say that again. How we see the world influences how we behave. So lots of folks out there who are interested in therapy, who've done therapy, understand that cognitive behavioral therapy is, uh, first of all, you want to be looking at the, the sort of outer circle of what's going on in one's world. Um, mm-hmm. And then from that, we have uh, thoughts and from the thoughts, we have feelings, and then feelings influence how we behave, right? Um, so if we change how we think, it can really change how we behave because it changes how we feel. Um, right. And feelings are important, but, you know, Vicki, as I like to say, they're not as important as what we do. What we right. do is as important, if not more important, really. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, feelings are a guide. It's important to know how we feel so that we know what we need. But in the end, how we treat each other and and how we can be empathic with people is, is the most important thing. Um, and again, this idea of empowering couples and families and individuals has to do with, you know, developing more fairness and, and egalitarian um, way of being in relationship between partners and family members. So, you know, today I wanted to talk about uh, the three S gals out there, um, you know, sort of on the heels of the Olympics, right, that, that just finished. Um, folks are going to be hearing this a little bit later on, but for us, it's, uh, we're recording end of August here and Olympics were just over. So, um, the Simone Biles story is relevant. Um, Scarlett Johansson, uh, she has a story that's relevant as well as Sharon Stone. So the S gals, um, all, all pretty sexy gals, I think, cause they're powerful, yeah. right. And, con- and confident <laughs> and successful and all that stuff. So I, I thought we might talk about their stories in relation to just sort of the stories of, of people and, and human beings and the struggle and challenges to fight for what we know is right and, and mental health, right, and physical health, sexual health, all, all of that. Um, so I wanted to start just talking about how, you know, overall women, particularly women of color, have lost during COVID, and we're still in COVID-19, and we're sort of coming on this new wave again, unfortunately, Um, because lots of folks uh, have not been vaccinated, and I'm encouraging people to get vaccinated. Um, Absolutely. So so women of color particularly have lost uh, a net of about 5.4 million jobs during the pandemic-induced recession, um, compared with 4.4 million jobs lost by men. Uh, So, you know, this equates to women only recovering approximately 55% of the 12 million jobs they lost at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, you know, and it's sort of when I was looking at this statistic and thinking about it, it reminded me, I'm, I'm 60 years old now, so I'm closer in my birth to World War II than you, Vicki, right? I was born in 61. Um, you were probably born in the 90s, right? 92. Oh, there you go, <laughs> 92. <laughs> uh, so... You know, I know because of my parents, my father, uh, w- you know, was a part of World War II. He didn't fight. He didn't go to war, but he was a drill sergeant in um, Fort Benning, Georgia. So I know the stories of World War II. And it made me think back to the time when 
before World War II, um, there were not as nearly as many women in the workforce. And then, do you remember Rosie the Riveter? Do you know that? Yeah. So she was this iconic uh, symbol, uh, emblematic of women who moved into the workforce because men were going to war. Um, and so that was a really big change and a great change because, you know, women in the workforce, it's very important to have diversity, not only in your troops, but in the workforce and in the world. Um, diversity is, is key to different ideas and people being able to problem solve better. Um, so, um, you know, I was thinking about Rosie the Riveter and I thought it was, was an interesting thing in that um, with women losing jobs in COVID, I think it's just sad. It's sad for our, our systems and, and, and our world. Um, you know, we lose a lot. Well, is it losing jobs? Do you see a lot of it as uh, losing jobs due to other responsibilities? Yes. Like having to, yeah. So it's like not, not the jobs themselves no longer being available as a job, but mm-hmm. more, you know, if the kids aren't home right. and both people are, you know. Right. It, I think that's hard when... I just think that's hard. And I think and I think it's it's hard too when even if both parents are home and working, mm-hmm. how you balance mm-hmm. the responsibilities of well, what if we both have a meeting mm-hmm. and the kids need lunch? Oh, what do yeah. you do? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean it's so interesting as a couple's therapist, a family therapist, this is the new problem that lots of folks are, have been dealing with. Yeah, and yeah. and learning how to negotiate, navigate, and manage that. Sure. So yeah, women losing jobs because they have been, uh, they've had to stay home. Uh, maybe they can't work from home, um, and mm. so they have to stay home with their very young children, their babies, their toddlers. They don't have childcare. They don't have these resources, um, and it's a big load on women, particularly. I mean, it's a big load on families too. Uh, but but for women, it's been extremely difficult. Um, yeah, so, so good point, um, Vicky, and it's, it's just very stressful. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's so stressful, and I, I think too, there's a sense of responsibility or guilt even if you decide to try to put your kids in a daycare or something like that, especially during mm-hmm. COVID. And now, a all of the daycares are backed up with wait lists, mm-hmm. thirty five children long in sure. this area. Sure. Um, yeah. But and then it's I feel I feel that there would be a sense of is this the right thing to do do we just need to try to figure something else out that works for us at home but is it stressful are like um, the whole mental health versus you know what I mean Mm. just like burning yourself out Mm -hmm. it's a lot Mm -hmm. oh yeah for sure you know and people were making these leaps when um, kids were staying home that you know they were saying it was going to be hurting their development um and their, you know, learning process and all of that. And, you know, the truth of the matter is we didn't have any data about that. So so we, mm. we don't really know. I don't really know if we still have any data about that. I'm, I'm not clear on that. I don't, I don't think we do because um, it hasn't really been long enough yet. Um, but what's my point of that? My point is that I think if people are really concerned and they do want their kids back to get back into the classroom or preschool, um, we have a responsibility. It's a public health issue. It's a public health crisis uh, to to get vaccinated and wear masks so parents can go back to work, so we can all be safe. You know, I, I have to tell you this morning, I'm sorry to say, I read a, a rather distressing and disturbing article about what's going on in Israel. 
and Israel was the first one, and we were following Israel in terms of the, uh, you know, rates of COVID decreasing because of the vaccine, but because not enough people, we haven't reached herd immunity yet, um, really anywhere, not enough people are vaccinated, um, the, the, the fourth wave is here. And it's so yeah. preventable. So as a as a, a a medical provider, as an LICSW and a CST, you know that is that's my stance. Um, I really would love it if if we could all take care of each other, and get vaccinated, so kids can go back to school. So we don't have to find out the data about poor development. Let's get them back in. People can go back to work like that. I saw a, something yesterday on Instagram. It was a mom in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and the Tennessee governor had uh, basically, I have it right here, he had put out that they made the mask mandate optional in schools, mm-hmm. right? So they made the mask mandate optional. Yep. And this mom reached out to the school and said, I'm writing to request the parent opt-out form to opt out of the school dress code. Mm. As the parent of a daughter at your school, I find the school's dress code policy to be misogynistic and detrimental to the self-esteem of young women. Mm -hmm. Rather than shaming young women into covering their shoulders and other parts of their body, Mm -hmm. I believe we should empower female students to have agency over their own bodies to wear clothing that is comfortable for them and contributes to their ability to enhance their learning experience. Mm. In light of the opt-out option related to the recently announced mask mandate, I can only assume that parents Parents are now in a position to pick and choose the school policies to which their child should be subject. As someone who holds a strong commitment to my feminist ideals and my desire to raise my daughter to be a strong, empowered woman able to make choices for herself, I find that the school's dress code policy does not align with my belief system. I therefore intend to opt out of this policy and send my daughter to school in anything she feels comfortable wearing. Mm. Please make note that she is not under any circumstances to be dress coded as I have clearly communicated my decision to opt out of this policy. Oh, she's awesome. And that will include a mask, I imagine. And I'm like, that. how great is that? Like, I just yeah. thought it was fitting for what we're talking about today. I'm like, sure. wow. I'm like, it's uh, there's the, the fact that something right. as simple as a mask and they're like, you can opt out of that, but girls can't wear a spaghetti strap tank top to school mm-hmm. is just, ugh. Oh, I'm with you. Oh, and I, I think that's brilliant. And, and you know, they have been wanting, you know, the conservatives have been wanting that uh, dress code uh, for so long that that uh, this idea of the of the mask sort of being, you know, in, included in that or, or the opting out idea, I, I think is, is, is a brilliant one. I don't know if it's going to work, <laughs> but uh, I just I was like, go, mom. I was like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then some schools are adding the masks to their dress code to get around people not being yeah. able. I just think it's... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's similar to, you know, it's okay to tell women what to do with their bodies. Make that a law, right? Um, and yet, uh, yeah. Oh, there All she goes. All of the... Everyone... Uh, oh, every, look at her face. you could face. see my face. Oh, yeah. If everyone is like, you can't tell me I have to get vaccinated. You can't tell me to to what I should be allowed to do with my body. And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, what does that sound like? And yet, I'm like, do you, and I'm like, I'm sorry. You can, you can use that. You can use that argument to not get vaccinated, mm-hmm. but women can't use that argument for anything that has to do with their own bodily autonomy. Really? Yeah. Like, it's, it's a, it's a complete <laughs> irony. Yeah. I mean, this is what my graduate school paper was about, you know, 20 years if, ago if, about the death penalty birth versus abortion. 
Um, you know, that, uh, you know, it's okay to kill someone, but it's not okay to, you know, abort your own child in, inside of your own body. Right. So, eh, we we digress. My face just lit up like a Christmas tree. (laughs) (laughs) There she goes. Oh, Oh, it makes me so mad, Donna. Yeah, me too, Vicky. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not okay. It's not okay. And so, you know, here's the fight. And so the... The, the idea of sex therapy is let's look at, you know, gender, right? Um, how to help uh, women and men feel, you know, equal to each other. Uh, you know, once again, I'll just talk about how women have, didn't, didn't have the right to vote until 1920. Uh, mm-hmm. Men have always had the right to vote. Uh, now, that's white men, of course. Um, but even in 1920, um, you know, for example, in places like Georgia, when black women showed up to vote, many of them were turned away because they were told the law stated they needed to have registered six months prior to voting. So, you know, there's always been sort of intimidation, brutal opposition, um, even in the face of creating these laws that look good. But there's so many subtleties and there's, I mean, let's just call it, yeah, misogyny and, um, you know, misogyny and uh, chauvinism. Unfortunately, and, and I think, look, a lot of, there are a lot of wonderful guys out there. And the, and the men, by and large, who show up uh, to my practice for sex and couples therapy are good men. And they want something better in their relationship. Most of them are feminists, which is great to say. They are all for women's rights and women being empowered, and that's beautiful. Um, you know, I have lots of dads who are, you know, their kids are uh, transitioning with gender or they're coping with sexual orientation moms too and there's just a lot of beautiful caring out there but there is there are many folks who who actually don't last in this process who are um who who don't who are not so in favor of uh their partner if it's a woman being equal and that's problematic and and those folks usually don't last in the process yeah well (laughs) And it is what it is. So, um, yeah. g- getting to our story about Simone Biles and ScarJo and and Sharon Stone, why why I thought and I think we thought it was maybe not a, a bad idea, a good idea to be talking about this is specifically here's Simone Biles, right? This really amazing woman of color, young woman of color, and she's out there fighting for her mental health, protecting her teammates. Um, you know, I loved I loved that she said it's okay to not be okay. Right. She, I love Simone Biles. Isn't I she amazing? she's amazing? Yeah, she's amazing. So everybody by now knows, you know, she experienced the twisties um, and it kind of freaked her out. And I mean, she's not here to talk about it, but that's sort of my understanding. And, and you, you probably know as much, if not more about it than I do. But what I found striking was, you know, here's everybody initially putting her down and, and saying whatever they said about her, she's weak or, you know, her mental health or this or that or the other. And here's... Novak Djokovic, or sorry, I said it wrong, Novak Djokovic, Djokovic, no, I can't remember. Um, Mm. Anyway, uh, Tara Sullivan uh, from, um, I think, is she from the Boston Globe? Yeah. From the Globe, yep. Um, She wrote about Djokovic, Djokovic, I think it is, Um, and she said, um, or is it Vich? Oh, jeez, now I can't remember. Um, Here's what she said. She said, his actions on the way out stomping in frustration, flinging his racket into the stands where mercifully no fans sat, withdrawing from the mixed doubles bronze medal, medal match and robbing teammate Nina Stojanovic of her chance at a medal, 
met with none of the vitriol, ladies and gentlemen, that hit Simone Biles after concerns for her safety and mental well-being led her to pull out, you know, because of the twisties, right? So she went on to say, a politician in Texas who doesn't deserve to be named, I'm quoting her, called Biles a disgrace to her country, and pundits around the globe called her a quitter who bailed on her teammates, not understanding that Biles actually helped her team by removing what would have been such low scores in her events that the silver medal her teammates clinched or cinched would have been impossible to earn. So she did the right thing for for the larger goal. And actually, that's a perfect metaphor for what I do with couples and families. You know, I want people not to be thinking about themselves more individually, but for the good of the marriage, for the good of their family, what, how we behave, what we do, sort of team spirit, just, right? It just makes me, as an, like somebody that's by no means a professional athlete, but an athlete, mm. yeah. to work for something for as long as you do to get to something like the Olympics and to put that much time and effort into it to then pull out of an event mm. because you know it's the right thing to do for your own safety, your own health, mm. the health of your team. That's not easy to do. Oh, no, of course not. And especially in a sport like gymnastics where one wrong turn and she's seriously injured. She's flinging her body through the air, twisting and turning upside down. You land wrong. You hit mm. something wrong. You fall. Like, you're mm. you're not just getting a bump and a bruise. You're breaking your neck. You're ending up, like, severely, severely injured. Oh, yeah. You could have, you know, I mean, you could be in a wheelchair the rest of your life or dead. And, you know, and I'm like, and, and for her to... to sit there and, and I remember I, when it happened they were like well she can't not be she has to be okay because she's sitting there cheering on her teammates anyway oh, and I'm yeah. like listen I'm like how dare you I'm like to to be on such a national and international platform yeah. in something like the Olympics saying I am not okay to do this but I'm still going to support my teammates I'm still going to do what's the best for the team to make sure that my teammates mm. who worked so hard still get the recognition and the potential medals that they deserve mm. and for her to be crucified <laughs> over that by some people is just in the words of JFK, Vicky, ask not oh. what your country can do for you, right? But yeah. what you can do for your and country. And then, and then you know, Djokovic, Djokovic, sorry, I'm going to butcher his name now, too. Let us know, but, folks, you know, what we're doing let, wrong here. If you're listening, let us know how we're, how we're saying it wrong, because I've seen it both ways. Yeah. But it's just, I'm like, he just was so angry, yeah. and he, they were like, ah, men in sports, they get mad. And I'm like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not okay to, to, to just think that that's normal and what Simone did is not normal. You know, again, right, it goes back to everything is normal. Um, except things that you should see a doctor about. Except things you <laughs> should see a doctor about and also things that disempower people. That That's, okay, maybe that's normal, but that's not okay. That's just not yeah. okay. So, and I'm like, to, to have the self-awareness and, you know, the mental strength that she had mm. to, to go through this and say, no, I'm not okay. I can't do these things. You mm. know, I just, mm. yeah. she's, she's, she's an amazing, amazing person. And she's a great model for mm. great role model for young oh. people. Considering everywhere. where she came from. I mean, she was yeah. not raised by her own parents from what I understand. Um, she, I think she was raised by her grandparents. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't recall. I read about it, and sorry to say, I don't remember. But she faced challenges that, 
you know, I certainly didn't face and a lot of people, um, you know, didn't face. So she's really developed. And this is why I like to talk about this idea. Um, sex and couples therapy is really, and family therapy is relevant um, when it comes to talking about uh, disabilities and aging and challenges that people face around attachment. Um, somebody like her having had challenges around attachment, I, I believe somebody discovered her at age, what, six or nine and said she's really talented. There was a teacher. And then... So Go ahead. Her mom um, struggled with drug and alcohol addiction mm-hmm. when she was younger. Yep. Um, and then her grandparents, her biological grandparents adopted her. Okay, yep, yep. Um, yeah, and, and someone noticed her talent. I believe it was a teacher. And then she was really encouraged. Um, and she had that village around her of folks who really helped her develop. But, you know, it couldn't have been easy for her um, dealing with what she dealt with with her mom. Right. Yeah. So here she is, you know, a very strong-willed, competent and confident person to be able to be that kind of model for those other athletes is just hats off to her. Um, you know, and, and, and I remember hearing her say about um, hearing her say about hearing her talk about staying on the team because, you know, having one of Larry Nasser's you know, victims on Mm -hmm. the team just would, would do as much as she possibly could to push USAG, the USA Gymnastics um, Association Mm -hmm. to, to do right by the team, Mm. to, to be that strong and to, you know, it's just, Mm -hmm. yeah. I've I've done a lot of reading about Simone Biles. I think she's amazing. So, (laughs) oh yeah, I can tell. Yeah. We're big fans. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. And as an athlete, you really have a great appreciation I do. Yeah. I do. And it's it's one of those things where in sports, you know, this isn't something like this is gymnastics isn't a sport where it's difficult to get injured. Right. You're not. I mean, you yeah. can get injured in any sport of course. And, and it can be tragic in any sport. But gymnastics especially yeah. is just you can get injured walking down the stairs, people. Right. You know. <laughs> I, I fell down the stairs this morning. Yeah. I literally, I missed a step. I tripped right. and I almost ended up in the door. Yeah. Like it was just, you yeah. know, that's just me not paying attention. I said, but, it, you know, mm-hmm. vaulting yourself through the air. Sure. And it's just, it's insane. Yeah, look, any team activity, I mean, as a musician who's worked in, in bandstands professionally for 30 plus years, I mean, you're really thinking about the good of, of the group, right? You want to put out the, the product that's the best product, especially when it's competitive, yep. Um, it's really important to be thinking about the, the greater good. Um, and th- this is a theme today. I mean, the greater good of society in terms of health, the greater good of her team, the greater good of, of families. Um, it's, it's so important to be thinking about that. We're all just a cog in the wheel, you know. Um, so, uh, again, another example. Uh, if, can I move forward from... from oh, absolutely. ...from Miss Biles? Um, absolutely. So, Miss Johansson, Scarlett Johansson, recently in the news, um, mm. in, in a, a lawsuit with Disney uh, regarding her new movie, Black Widow, right, uh, alleging yep. that the simultaneous release in theaters plus the streaming Disney plus, you know, breached her contract, right, because... Uh, that that was going to be sort of her bread and butter, um, the release, I think, in theaters. Um, mm-hmm. And then Disney responded, lovely, um, not, not, 
uh, stating that Johansson doesn't care about people risking COVID in movie theaters, uh, which is, of course, a smokescreen for their contractual breach um, regarding percentages. So according to the Wall Street Journal, uh, Ms. Johansson said in her lawsuit um, that her agreement with Disney's Marvel Entertainment guaranteed an exclusive theatrical release, and her salary was based in large part on the box office performance of the film. You know, and then there's COVID, so things changed, right? Um, and I don't know all the details. <laughs> I can't speak to it. I'm not an attorney, um, and I'm not involved. But uh, it just seems unfair, doesn't it? I'm just. I just googled something really quickly, um, just to see. I just think. Uh, I I just have so many questions for Disney on this one. I really do. I really what would do. you what would you ask him, Vicky? What would be Well, I just you know, I understand. Actually, no, I don't understand. I truly don't. I don't understand how you could breach a contract like that. I don't understand, you know, everyone from Disney is saying that her lawsuit has no merit, that she's being selfish, that she's mm-hmm. being sad and that she's, you know, reaching out to for the publicity or, or everything, but mm-hmm. With Disney Premiere or Disney Plus, how that works is if you have Disney Plus, for some of the Premiere Access movies, like when Mulan came out, you could pay $30 to see it before it got released, however many months later, for general people that have Disney Plus. Mm. So you can pay extra mm-hmm. to see, you know. And I'm, I'm interested to, to know, does Scarlett Johansson see any of the any of those profits from people that are paying $30 to stream it early on Disney plus. Mm. I'm like that, you know, I just, uh. yeah, I I don't know. I don't know enough about it. It just, it just seems like, uh, I'm just glad that she's speaking up and standing up. I am too. Yeah. And I think, I think it takes a lot, especially for, um, somebody who's been a part of, that franchise for so long and has put so much time and effort into the Black Widow character and the Avengers universe and, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. I think it's, we should have had Paul on this one. I bet Paul would have a bunch to say. Paul's a big Avengers guy. Oh, Um, yeah. But yeah, I just think it's, that, that takes a lot to, to go against your employer essentially to say, Hey, I've been a part of this for so long and this isn't, this isn't what was supposed to happen. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, and then there's the Sharon Stone story, um, which I just read about again yesterday, trying to stay updated on these things that I wanted to talk about. And uh, I don't know if you're aware, but but um, let's see. Her story is that she got this movie or gig or show in Atlanta, um, mm-hmm. and the current SAG-AFTRA agreement that expires in September allows producers the option, the option of mandating COVID-19 vaccines for some cast and crew working in close proximity. So Stone's complaint is that she wants to guarantee, understandably, a safe work environment for all, and she may very well lose the Atlanta gig if she insists on all cast and crew being vaccinated. Um, So at the moment, and what I read uh, just yesterday, is that um, she stated the Producers Guild of America, quote, will not guarantee that everyone on our show is vaccinated before I go to work, unquote. And she's working with Matthew Modine, you know, that actor, and Joely Fisher. Um, and mm-hmm. she's she's now running as a SAG, Screen Actors Guild, 
AFTRA, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, National Delegate for Membership First, that's what it's called, which is the union's opposition party. So she her, her stand is that she wants to go on that set, make sure everybody's safe, kind of like Tom Cruise, what he was doing. Remember mm. when he was really upset that people were not um, being safe and, and maintaining the social distancing, the mask wearing, you know, whatever those things were that he was wanting to keep people safe. And I agreed with him. I, I thought he was right, and I think she's right, to, guarantee, to want to guarantee safety. I, no, I absolutely agree. Yeah. So, again, I, you know, if people can look at this as a public health problem, not a private rights problem, that's where I think it can be very helpful. And I know people are going to disagree with me out there, and, and that's okay. Uh, but that's that's my stance, and I really want folks to be safe. And you know, children are getting sick under twelve; they can't yet get the vaccine. Um, and little little ones under what is it, two or three, can't wear masks. So, you know, we just yeah. want to protect those out there who, you know, are vulnerable. Yeah, it makes it makes me sad. <laughs> yeah, what part? That people won't uh, think of it as public health protection. Yeah, that mm-hmm. it's it's not. I was listening to something on the radio the other day, and and somebody had called in. The whatever host was talking, they were talking about how you feel about having to show a vaccination card or something like that to get into a mm-hmm. a concert or something. I don't even know. And somebody called in, and they were just complaining about it's my right to not get vaccinated and and all these things. And I was like, and I, I get it, but you know, you got the chicken pox vaccine when you were a kid, right? Or you got like all the other vaccines you got when you were a kid and Mm -hmm. hopefully you never had to deal with all of those types of things. Right. So Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you want to do your part to make sure that other people that might not be as healthy as you also Mm -hmm. get to live their lives, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. just because somebody might be immunocompromised, doesn't mean that they should have to live their life differently because people are selfish or then and, and, and that's mm. just my take and that might be a hot take but mm. yeah. I think things like wearing a mask just wear a mask <laughs> and then everybody can have a good time or socially distance or yeah do all these different types of things you know and sure and I think it's a bigger problem like I'm more personally more stressed about COVID now yeah than I was in the middle of the height of the pandemic when it first started because I think we have the tools to fight it properly now Mm. and people are just choosing not to. And that stresses me out more because Mm. I just view that as selfishness in a way, which I don't know if that's right. And if if it's, you know, but I mean, I I, look, I, when I'm working with couples and clients, that's my personal opinion. That's not Donna's opinion. That's my personal opinion. Well, thanks for saying that Vicki. I mean, (laughs) look, people really are in self-protection mode. Most people Mm. are not evil. They're not trying to do harm. I think that's an important thing to say. And and I always have to see it from that perspective in order to be uh, on, on everyone's side. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm never sitting in judgment. I'm never against anyone and I want the best for everyone. So when folks are in self-protection mode, I mean, the way that I'm viewing what's happening now, and I agree with you, I'm, I'm probably more worried today more than I have been. I'll just be quite frank. Uh, reading that story in Israel was disturbing. Um, I think what has happened, we're in 2021 and, you know, the last terrible, um, virus that was very destructive in my lifetime was HIV AIDS. 
mm-hmm. in the 1980s, and that was very scary. I lived through that. I was personally sexually active in the 1980s. I was born in 61, so I was in my, you know, 20s, 30s, um, and um, it was scary, and I had friends die, and I've had friends die in COVID, and, you know, I think we are in a very, uh, we have been in a pretty protected world where, you know, my husband is 69, um, I'm 60, uh, he did not get polio because he had the polio vaccine. Um, other older family members of ours do have polio because they were born in the 20s and 30s and they didn't get, they didn't yeah. have the good fortune. So folks today who really haven't seen the ravages of, of viruses and epidemics uh, don't understand what an epidemic and now a pandemic does and how it does kill people and some folks might say well look i mean you know very few people are dying compared to the population um but like you say vicky it's preventable and there's nothing in those vaccines that's harmful contrary to what some may want to believe some people believe there are heavy metals in there and there's none of that um there's not there's uh sugars and you know the messenger rna spike protein that just teaches your um teaches your body how to fight off um, COVID-19. There's no COVID-19 in that vaccine. Um, and then that, that spike protein pretty much dies away very quickly. So, you know, by and large, it's, you know, we're, we take more risks smoking. We take more risks not exercising. We take more risks using phthalates that are in our makeup. By the way, women, please try to buy non, how do you say that word? Phthalate. Uh, ridden uh, makeups. I just changed all of my makeup because I realized I was putting toxins on my face. So I'm now buying other kinds of makeup that don't contain that. So, you know, we take a lot of other risks. What, what you know, uh, what's the thing about McDonald's? You know, you eat a hot dog or McDonald's and you're happy <laughs> to do that. You know, you don't know what's in that, right? <laughs> but you do that without even thinking about it. Some of these memes, uh, right, that are out there on social media now, it's that's pretty or you have no problem smoking, you know, a pack of cigarettes a day. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. So anyway, my, my, my mission, you know, as, and I think you're of the same sort of heart and mind, Vicki, is that it's important to fix, you know, all the systems, you know, and, and we're doing better and better slowly, slowly, slowly. Uh, we have a lot, a long way to go when it comes to, you know, racism and uh, sexism and and all the ageism and all the isms out there that we have to continue to be thinking about things in a a better healthier more egalitarian way for people Um, we should be thinking about aging and disability as as a strength because we have to adapt right people are adapting when they're facing challenges Um, so you know fixing systems for everyone's protection safety fairness so we can all be happier I'm a systemic therapist, right? Uh, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm part of this great group called uh, NIAFAST now, uh, the New England Association of Systemic and Family Therapy, Family and Systemic Therapy, NIAFAST. And we're a New England-based organization, and we are for um, networking, education, and advocacy. So we do a lot of advocacy work around dismantling systemic oppression and racism and um, things like that. So... That's my mission in life. I think it's great. And I think the work that you do is so important. And I love when we talk about these things. And I love when we have our discussions so that we can learn and, and that other people that are listening can hear you talk about why it's all so important. Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of what we do is I think 
we should just keep trying to educate ourselves and keep trying to learn so that our opinion is, you know, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, Mm. but you're also allowed to have your opinion change. And you're allowed to say, my opinion has changed because I learned more. And whether that be in either direction, it's, Mm. that's okay. You Mm. know, and, or, you know, my behavior has changed because I have educated myself and I have learned a healthier way to deal with this, or Mm. I've learned the way that I thought I was dealing with it might not actually be the best way. Mm -hmm. That's, that's okay. You know? Yeah. I think it's important. Oh, I agree. And, And I love that you are you know, who you are, you're, you're so intelligent and you bring a youthfulness to this conversation and you're, you know, your generation, you know, you, you speak for your generation and it's just nice to have these conversations with you. Oh, stressful. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Stress. But yeah, and one of the most gratifying things for me as a therapist is when I get to say to, to folks, wow, look at the change that's been created here. You've met your goals. How are you feeling? They feel so much better. I'm getting people, you know, in and through and meeting their goals and out and, you know, they can call me back if they have an issue in the future. And it's just so beautiful to see when people do evolve, change and grow and they're happier. And it's, yeah, it's lovely. I love this work. I think it's great. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. So thanks everybody for joining us today. Uh, really appreciate it. Again, this was Sex Therapy Empowering Individuals, Couples, and Families. And remember that if you want to get in touch, you can call the office at 508-990-9909. On Facebook, look for The Sex and Couples Therapist. On Instagram, you can find me at The Happy Ending Therapist. And the website is www.sexandcouplestherapy.com. All kinds of information on there and our podcasts. Um, and so we, we really appreciate you joining us and remember always make time for pleasure, play and passion, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.